Welcome to the Toxin Terminator, helping people to restore and renew their health by removing the toxins from the home and their lives. Join in as industry thought leaders help you understand the physical and emotional effects these products can have on you and your family, and the safe alternatives you can use to remove the hidden toxins for renewed health. Now, please welcome your host, the Toxin Terminator herself, Amy Carlson. My next guest has been injured by vaccines is how her story originally started. She, as a teenager, got the first two series of the hepatitis B vaccination and became injured by those series. And that led her down this path of trying to heal her body through the medical route and then finding that she just really wasn't getting any relief. She started understanding the concept of toxins in her environment, inside her home. What she was also eating was making a difference in her overall health. And she's going to share that story with us. Because as she got into removing the toxins from her home and looking at the nutrition and what she was fueling her body with, she was able to reduce her pain by over 80% is quite the story. She has got seven children. She is now a single mom. And her passion today is really, truly making her story end with herself. There were choices that she made as she was going through life and knows that that it affected her overall health and that doesn't have to be the story with her children and that she just truly wants to be able to empower them so that they have the knowledge to be able to make better decisions for themselves and their families as they carry on. I cannot wait for you guys to listen to Sarah Adamo's story. Sarah, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you agreed to come on. Thank you so much. You bet. So Sarah has got such a great story. And I know that we're going to hit it out of the gates starting off because we're going to go into some vaccine injury. And I have a personal poll on this, but I want to hear about, because this happened when you were in high school. This wasn't an early childhood, correct? Yes, that's correct. So talk to us about what happened and what it's been like for you since. So this was back in the 90s, back when the vaccine schedule was pretty small starting at birth. And the Hep B vaccine was pretty new to the scene and being promoted heavily in high schools. And so there was literature sent out to all the students on all the benefits of having the hepatitis B vaccine and, you know, the dangers of college situations. Nowhere on the literature did it say STD, by the way. Otherwise, it would have probably just chucked it because it was my intention to save myself for marriage, which I did. And so I believe the propaganda on the paper and I got that first round of three and I had a reaction to it and I went to the nurse and I explained my situation and she said, well, you know, didn't you get the shot in one arm? And I said, I did. And she said, and you said you had reactions in both arms. And I said, I did. And she said, well, that can't be from the shot which, you know, doing my research later was total baloney. So I... (laughs) So let me stop you for just a second, because there's a couple things that I want to bring to light here. Number one is when you say you had a reaction in your arms, Mm -hmm. 
what do you mean by that? What were you experiencing? So I had these hard, painful lumps develop in both arms, kind of on the back of each arm in the fatty tissue. And they were hot to the touch, hard under the surface, and very painful. Okay. And did it, was it something that appeared right away? Did it, you know, come on and stay on? And that's why you went back and sought more medical attention? It was probably a couple of days. I mean, this was over 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it was well within probably, I would say, at least a week and very close to the injection site. So I was like, this has never happened before. It wasn't a muscle issue. It was, you know, definitely a hard, painful lump. And I'm like, what is going on here? Okay. Then the other thing I want to talk about, because I think this is something that people need to understand, is that you did the right things. You went back to the doctor to report your injury, right? Yes. And I think what's important with that is the nurse dismissed it. Mm -hmm. The nurse dismissed it. So they're not even going to report that as a reportable vaccine injury. Yes, that's true. And that's so key because I think there's so many times that we have a vaccine injury and they're required by law to record that. Yes, yes. And even something as small as a fever is still considered a reaction. And yet... How many kids have fever? I have 12 grandkids. I know you have how many children? Seven. Seven. Okay. I have 12 grandkids and all of them have been vaccinated and every single one of them get a fever and get sick immediately after their vaccinations. And I know none of them are reporting them. Yeah. 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 Anyways, okay, so it's just key that people need to understand that, you know, we're not out here on this far, you know, radical side of making this stuff up. You know, this is what reality is. So you get the bumps and they're painful and you go back to the nurse. Mm -hmm. So did they do anything for you then? She said, take a painkiller and then let's get you your second round. Oh my gosh. So I was dumb enough to believe that. And I had the second round. Okay. And when I had the second round, I got the same kind of lumps in my arms and also in my legs. Mm. And so my parents at that point were like, okay, we are done. We are not doing a third round. We have to figure out what this is and how to get rid of it. So we spent the next six months going from specialist to specialist. At one point, I was told, if the next test comes back positive, there's a chance you may have less than six months to live. And I'm 16 at this point, right? So I'm kind of like, oh my word, my life's coming to an end. You know, just all oh. the stress and everything of all of, the, you know, having biopsies. And finally, they nailed down a diagnosis. And then it was trying drug after drug after drug to see what would help. We finally ended up with me being on prednisone and then intermittent steroids in between to help with the pain. I mean, the prednisone never made it go away. Mm -hmm. But for things like prom, you know, when you want to go to prom, but you're in so much pain, you can't move, you take the steroids. But the catch 22 is that anytime I took the steroids, when it would come back, it would come back worse than it was before. So I always had to weigh my options. Is it really worth it to be pain free for one night to have fun so that when I know they're going to come back worse? 
So when you say they come back, so what you were experiencing at this time in your life was chronic pain. Were you having those bumps all over or was it just the pain? I had them all over. And so what they are is it's a hardening of the subcutaneous fatty layer of my skin. So it's between the skin and the muscle would be this hard lump in the fat. And so anytime there was pressure on that, whether it's pressure from underneath of the muscle moving or outside pressure of maybe too tight of clothing or a chair or you know sitting on it or laying on it in bed it was massively painful like if you put your finger and you touched it tears would spring to my eyes <sighs> and so walking became painful laying down was painful and at the time you know i'm i'm being seen by a dermatologist every month they would take my blood checking for liver failure Mm, because of the... Because of the prednisone. Mm -hmm. And then every six months, they would check to make sure I wasn't going blind from the drugs. And I look back now going, oh my word, you know, (laughs) what was I doing to myself? It's a really good thing I didn't drink because I was ruining my liver with the prednisone already. (laughs) Well, I have to think that you were at a point in your life like I used to be too, where, you know, the doctors know best and you trust what they're telling you to do. And you don't know that there is other ways, you know, to treat yourselves. So did you have a diagnosis with this? What were they calling it? They call it chronic erythema nodosum. And erythema is just like hot and red is what it means. And then nodosum is nodules under the skin. So it's basically just a description of what it is. Okay. Um, The most common cause of it is actually birth control, though I had never been on birth control. And I tried every drug listed for this condition with no luck. So we just kind of ended up sticking with the prednisone. And I went and I spoke to my dermatologist. This was, you know, finishing out high school, going into college. Mm-hmm. At this point, I was, you know, I'd gotten engaged and we were getting married. And three months after we were married, I found out I was pregnant with my first child. And so I called up my dermatologist and I said, I know enough to know that prednisone causes, it stops rapidly dividing cells. So that's kind of a baby. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So do I need to get off prednisone? (laughs) And he's like, yes, yes, you definitely need to wean yourself off of that. Do you think that this should be some sort of an alert for people when they say, don't take this if you're pregnant or nursing? You know, maybe you wouldn't really want to take it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, that's where my mind goes with it. If it's not safe when I'm pregnant and nursing, what makes it safe when I'm not? Yeah. And with all of the blood tests and, you know, checking for liver failure, like and blindness. what am I doing? Yes. Yeah, right. And blindness. Yeah. At, you know, 18, 20, <laughs> no, 21. Well, at least you've gotten over the six months, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. We've lived past six months. That's a bonus here. You know, yeah, that, okay, that. blind might not be so bad. I'm still alive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, goodness. So while I'm pregnant, I'm sitting there going, okay, so I can't take these drugs. Now what? 
I didn't know what to do. I, you know, standard American diet was how I was raised. We were not earthy, crunchy by any means. Like organic had no meaning to me. Never like we barely had fresh fruits and vegetables at my house. Most of it came from a can. No, like, you know, I'm not dissing my mom here at all. She did the best she could with what she had. And she was a great mom, but that's just how we were raised. (laughs) I can so relate to that. My son, he makes fun of, you know, when he was growing up, he said that he thought that trash cans were big square boxes because that's the bag looked like that with all the pizza boxes in it. You know, (laughs) that was our diet. You know, I mean, I think so many of us can relate to that, that we, you know, I worked 70 plus hours a week. So fast food was a mainstay for us. Yes. And I think the one thing to remember in all of this is baby steps and grace. I think so many people look at, well, Sarah, you know, has been doing organic for her whole life. You know, no, no, I have not. (laughs) I had Papa John's pizza 13 days straight when I was pregnant because that's what I was craving. And I didn't know any better that it was probably calcium that I needed instead of pizza. But <laughs> the pizza tasted good, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, and that is so, so true. I think there's some people, they see the end result. They don't see the whole story leading up. And that's why I do what I do because we want to talk about what it was like. So let's get back. I, I go off on these little tangents here. It's okay. You can pull me back in too. <laughs> so we're pregnant, you know, and we're like, now what? You know, so how did you manage the pain then while you were pregnant? I just kind of lived through it because I didn't think there was any alternative. So I'm like, okay, well, there's got to be things that I could do to help with it naturally. I need to start looking into this. Okay. So I started looking into Dr. McCola and he was going through a series on removing toxins from your home and kind of detoxing your home. And I'm like, I have toxins in my home? Like, (laughs) oh my goodness. Okay, well, let's remove those. So, you know, we started with the frying pans and we, we got rid of Teflon. And I learned about Teflon. And then I learned about my plastic shower curtain. And I was like, I had no idea when plastics are heated that they release toxins into the air. And, you know, so we replaced the plastic shower curtain and we threw away all our plastic kitchen containers. And my husband's like, have a blast. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but have fun. At least you seem happy. So. <laughs> Hey, at least he was on board. There's so many times that our husbands, our spouses, our family think we're absolutely crazy. Yes. And I did get labeled a little crazy, but he's like, as long as you're, you know, not affecting me too much, have have fun. (laughs) As long as I get my lifestyle, I'm good. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. So I started kind of going down that rabbit hole. And the thing I noticed the most is when I look at pictures of myself pregnant with my first baby, I knew nothing about nutrition and toxins and all that stuff. I mean, I used all the scented stuff. I did all of that stuff. And I gained 50 pounds while I was pregnant. And the majority of the weight was in my neck Mm -hmm. and my arms and my legs. Mm -hmm. And I had a very small baby, well, small for me, which was seven pounds, six ounces. (laughs) 
and labor was hard and I had to have stitches after he was born and it was just not a good, yay, first pregnancy, you know? (laughs) Want to go rush right out and do that one again, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when you found out we were pregnant the second time, I'm like, oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) We never planned any of our children. It was like, surprise, you're pregnant. Okay, sweet. Let's figure this out. Now what do we do? <laughs> yes. So the second time around, I had started learning about the Weston A. Price Foundation and nutrition from that aspect. And we started looking into raw milk and digging into whole grains and things that I had never heard about before. And so I ate very differently the second time around. Okay. And I still gained 50 pounds. Only the 50 pounds, the majority of it was in my belly. My face looked about the same as when I was not pregnant. My arms were the same. My legs were the same. Most of it was all belly. And the baby was 10 pounds, 5 ounces. Wow. And before anyone freaks out, oh my gosh, it's a huge baby. I've had bigger babies than that. And I'll tell you, bigger babies are easier to deliver than smaller babies. So don't worry about the size of your baby. Your body can handle it. I'm freaking out over here. (laughs) But if that's what you say, you had seven of them. I'm going to trust that you know what you're talking about. (laughs) Well, I tell people, I'm like, just think about it for a moment. Like we all know what contractions are. It's literally your uterus shrinking down. Mm -hmm. If you have a big baby, it has less to shrink down to get to the baby than if you have a smaller baby because it's got to shrink down way more. So you're going to have way more contractions to get to the baby before it can start pushing the baby out. So in that way, you get quicker results, hopefully. That's a good thing. (laughs) Yes, yes. And when you're eating healthy and when you're consuming good quality products, you have good skin elasticity. And that's important for when you want to have a big baby. <laughs> and so I was able to have my second son. He was amazingly healthy. In fact, one of the nurses held him and she's holding him and she goes, you just don't see babies like this anymore. She's like, he's got so much brown fat, he could not eat for three days and be just fine. (laughs) Aww, what a testament. Yeah, so I think that was kind of my first real world, what you eat really does matter. I mean, if you're not pregnant or if you're a man and not having babies, obviously, you kind of have to go off of, you know, your blood or how you feel or your waistband, you know, stuff like that. But when you can see a baby and the differences in your labor and delivery and all of that stuff, like your nutrition matters so much because, you know, we are what we eat. That's true. But I mean, you think about it, everything that your body makes has to come from what you eat and the air you breathe. Right. And if you're not breathing clean air and eating good food, you're giving your body very basic things to build itself with and expecting the same results out of it. And you're just not going to get it. Right. And so when I realized that, we started making little changes over time. And I did have to, you know, bring my husband in. Here's what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Here's why I'm so excited about this. Are you willing to make these changes with me for our family? 
And he was like totally on board. Like as long as you don't start cutting out all my favorite foods, like I'm good. Like we did have to switch him from the Kraft macaroni to the Annie's macaroni. (laughs) And there was a little bit of a, I don't know. Now you're really encroaching here. (laughs) (laughs) Dang it. Yes. It was funny because I just said, well, just try it for a little while. Right. Seeing as it's your favorite food. And so he was cool. He did. And then he's like, okay, for my birthday, I want to try, go back and have a box of craft. And I'm like, go for it. You know, you got to <laughs> let yourself have some freedom sometimes. <clears throat> and he went and he ate it and he came back and was like, that was so disappointing. <laughs> you ruined it for me. <laughs> And that is so funny because as we eat healthier, for instance, I eliminated sugar out of my diet. You know, well, processed sugar, I should say, Mm -hmm. because I do eat a lot of fruit. So when I have an opportunity to say, I'm going to splurge and have, you know, we're going to order a dessert and we're going to split it four ways. We're out with another couple or something like that. It tastes horrible to me. It just is not a good, it's too rich. It's just too much for my body. So I think most people, when you make that change, you find that to be true. Yes. Yes. And you really have to find what works for you. And like, I think some people think when we talk about getting healthy, wait, do I have to cut out all this stuff too? No, you might not. And yay for you, (laughs) you know, but you really have to listen. I love that. I love that you talk about because I think people think that there's an answer that's going to fit within this little box, right? Mm -hmm. And that what works for you, Sarah, is not the same thing that works for me or that works for Jennifer or works for Sam or works for Mike. You know, everybody's got to be that mindfulness to when's the last time you felt your body. Yes. You know, really sat in the presence of your body and felt what it was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, you experiencing pain, feel your body. Yes. So as I was going through this whole kind of health transformation, I had people coming to me and Sarah, have you tried going gluten and dairy free? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh, no, you know, we do raw (laughs) milk and we're doing whole grains. I don't need to do that. And so finally, we came to 2017 and it had been 20 years since the vaccine and I was still in a lot of pain. I mean, not as much. It was just something that I learned to live with. Okay. And I had reduced a lot of it and I'd cleaned up our home, not seen a lot of changes that I would have liked to see, but still saw some. Okay. So I was like, you know what? It's been 20 years of this. Maybe I'm going to jump in and do this gluten and dairy free thing. (laughs) And which scared the heck out of me because there's so many changes that you have to do with that. Granted nowadays, like it's really easy. Like there's so many other options out there, which is nice. Mm -hmm. But so I did it and Full disclosure, people, if you're going to go dairy-free, you are going to be depressed for a couple days. It's totally normal. (laughs) You will dream of ice cream and the mouthfeel of it. (laughs) Like I used to just sit there like, oh, I miss that mouthfeel of melty cheese (laughs) ice cream. Cheese was my big one because I am a sucker for cheese and not having that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I get you. I understand. But I had to also realize this may not be forever. 
Right. And how I'm going to feel on the other side of this is going to be worth it, I hope. Yeah. And so I would say that cutting out gluten and dairy, mainly dairy, reduced my pain by 80%. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. I knew I could tell with dairy because if I had the slightest bit of dairy within 15 minutes, I would feel the pain come back. And I'm like, no, why does it have to be dairy? (laughs) (laughs) I don't want it to be dairy. Yes. That's really interesting because I don't have pain from dairy, but it's interesting that you use the term 15 minutes because within 15 minutes of eating dairy, I need to find a toilet. Oh, wow. You know, it's that bad and it's so cramped. I don't know what it does, but it just absolutely tears up my insides. Wow. And that's that's crazy, but mine happens that quickly as well as yours. And I think it's just, you just have to realize how your body responds negatively and connect it. Yeah. Because if you don't ever do that, man, that Mexican food, something in there, you know, just bothered me. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) What was it? The crackers that I was eating or the cheese on the crackers? Was it the soup or was it the cream base of the soup? Was it, you know, you have to keep that food journal in order for you to get it figured out as to what is causing the issues for you. Yes. Yes. And it may not be dairy. And I've had friends who've had gluten and dairy allergies that go over to Europe and they can eat gluten and dairy in Europe and they have no problems with it. And I'm just like, hmm. "Hmm." (laughs) And you know, that kind of got me going down the toxin trail of, okay, what's being put on our food here in the United States that's not being put on food in Europe. Right. You know, and what's different about our food than their food? And so I started digging into GMOs. And, you know, of course, now we're starting to look pretty crunchy over here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Let's see, we're gluten free and, you know, no dairy, no GMOs. I love it. But, you know, people kind of look at you like, oh, you're one of those health nuts. And I love to share my story because. It's not like I was like, oh, you know, I just can't wait to get rid of dairy in my diet. No, <laughs> not at all. Like I, I love cheesecake <laughs> and ice cream. I'm not sitting here, you know, holier than thou, but I know that for my body and for me, that's a no. And so you sit there and you enjoy your cheesecake and I'm going to clap for you and probably wish I was you for about five minutes, but I'm not having any of that. Yeah. And I won't have a bite. Like a bite is not worth it to me right? because I know how I feel without it and I feel better without it than with it. And until I heal my gut, which I truly believe I can do, well, not me personally, like God's going to do the healing. I'm going to put in the building blocks that my body needs to fix itself and God's going to work his magic in there. But I have to figure out What are those building blocks that I'm missing in my body for my body to be able to do its job and fix itself? I love that. Well, I mean, people talk about cures and nothing cures you. You cure you, but you have to put in you what your body needs to build the cure to fix yourself. Because God made us in a way that we fix ourselves. I mean, if you cut your finger, you don't have to like put stuff on it to heal it. Like you should wash it. So get the germs out, but your body's going to fix it all by itself. And you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. 
but you have to be putting the things in your body to be able to fix it. I mean, if we lived off of air, it wouldn't work, you know? (laughs) Right. Well, and I think it's important too, you know, your discovery was we got to put in the body the good things, the building blocks so that God can do his job. But we also have to be thinking about, and you talk about this in your story, you already did, but what are we putting on the body as well? You know, what exposures are we having? You know, that's in too, because if it's going on the skin, it's going inside the body. Yes. You know, and we got to make sure that we're, you know, giving it the proper fuel for it to do the right things and that we don't overload. You know, your pain, you were vaccine injured, but as time went on, it became a chronic illness for you, Mm -hmm. you know, which just is compounded because of everything that you are exposed to within your environment. Yeah. And so I started, you know, cutting all of those things out too. And, you know, when I realized that things like your laundry detergent affects your reproductive system and that when you're using dryer sheets with your undergarments, you are literally placing those toxins right next to your reproductive system all day long. You're sleeping in it. You're wrapping yourself up in it after you get out of the shower. And I was just like, you know what? I don't want that for my kids. Yeah. Like my story is my story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be my kid's story. Right. And so as my kids were growing up and we had more, my goal was to make sure that my kids grew up in the cleanest possible environment. And I don't mean clean, like free of clutter or germs, because <laughs> we do know that some bacteria is healthy. <laughs> right. Let them get dirty. <laughs> yes. Let them play in the dirt and encounter probiotics naturally and all of those things. Mm-hmm. But by clean, I mean as toxin free as possible. And so I made it my goal as a mama to say it stops here. It stops at my door. No, I will not have fragrance in my home. No, I will not have these chemicals in my laundry detergent because my kids' lives matter. And because of what I've had to go through, I would never want them to go through that. If I end up living out the rest of my days with this chronic illness, that was my choice to get that shot. But my kids don't have to live out those poor choices and I want them to know better from day one. So I teach them, you know, about nutrition. You know, mom, why don't I get to have a soda? All the other kids are drinking soda. Well, let's talk about soda and why soda is not the best option for you because you know what, someday you're going to be a grown up, And if you want to drink soda, that's fine. But I don't want you to turn around and point the finger. Well, when I was a kid, you know, we did this and you know, <laughs> mom said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I want you to be empowered to know that when you drink a soda, this is what's going to happen in your body. But you know that and you made that choice. Right. Not just, it just happened and I'm a victim. No, I make choices and I make good choices. What do you say to the parent? And I, this is no judgment by any stretch of the imagination, but I hear so many times from parents that my kids won't eat this or my kids won't eat that, or I can't, you know, do, and it's like, My personal opinion, and I raised one child, so trust me, I am no expert at this, but (laughs) you're the one bringing the stuff in the home. 
You know, I grew up in an era where we didn't get a choice of, hey, what's for dinner? You know, it was what got served on the table is what you ate. I don't understand the philosophy behind, and I know we're getting way off topic here, but I think it's important. You do control what's happening within the four walls of your home. You can't control what goes on outside of it, but you can control what's happening inside. And that's your whole point with this, I want better for my kids, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm right there with you. I know that does seem to be an old school belief system, but I hold to it. What really got me convinced that that is the right way to raise your children is when I was listening, and I don't even remember who was talking about it, but they were talking about it, that your children will learn about God by watching you as their parent. And I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. So they said, so if you do not act as the authority in their life and teach them to submit to an authority from an early age as their parent, then how are they going to submit to the authority of God who they can't see? Mm. And when I heard that, it was like, whoa. That's a lot of responsibility. Well, yes, parenting is a big responsibility. We all know that. I think we just kind of forget sometimes. <laughs> but yes, when you, when you have seven kids, you can't make multiple dinners and start when they're small. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't eat the dinner, guess what? A child will never starve themselves. Yes. Eventually they will eat <laughs> and they will eat what you put in front of them. And how you deal with that is totally up to you as a parent. There are lots of great ideas on the internet for you to look up, but they won't starve themselves. Like they might get pretty darn close. I've had a couple get pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) But uh, eventually they will give in. And when you keep explaining to them, look, I am doing this because I love you. And I want what's best for you and your growing body. And sorry, not sorry, as your parent, I know more about your body and nutrition than you do. (laughs) So we're going to go with me. (laughs) And I think, you know, you're sharing, you know, you had that personal experience with having the injury and really having a reason to have to focus in on that. So what do we say to the person who may not be experiencing anything with chronic disease or having any, what they perceive as ill effects from, you know, poor choices in their lifestyle, you know, what do we say to that person to say, you know, these are things that you do need to make, you know, an important process of your life? Or do you even get to say anything? I like to say every choice has a consequence. And I mean, if you decide to smoke cigarettes, Mm -hmm. eventually you are going to see the signs of aging from smoking earlier than you would if you didn't smoke cigarettes. Right. So every choice has a consequence and that includes our food, our, you know, willingness to exercise or go outside and be in the sunshine. All of these things have potential consequences, whether they're good or bad. So knowing that you have a choice, what are you going to choose? Like if you could look at yourself in the future, when you're older, when you're retired, when you're, you know, in a nursing home, what do you want to look like? Mm -hmm. I look at women in their eighties who are like up walking around, hanging out with their buds. And I'm like, I want to be you Mm -hmm. when I grow up. 
<laughs> it's funny, Sarah, because, you know, when I was in my 20s, 50 looked pretty darn old. And, you know, now that I'm in my 50s, you know, 80 looks pretty darn old. You know, your perception on what is old and going beyond 50 we really get into this, I want to age appropriately. I don't want to be the grandma that's sitting in a rocking chair and just being able to talk to her grandkids. I want to be on the floor playing with them. Yes. I want to be out living life, not crippled or, you know, incapacitated because of the choices that I have made throughout life. Yes. And I think if you have that image then you work back from there. You know, is smoking really a good option for me? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, big surprise there, you know, in case you're a smoker, you know, but just kind of working back and, you know, making good, healthy choices and just one at a time. Like it doesn't have to be, you go into your pantry and you chuck everything. Like I know I was so tempted to do that and it can be very overwhelming if you do that, but just realizing first of all, that you even have a choice Uh. because I think a lot of us walk around in our life doing things because it's how we've always done them, not realizing we can do better. Yeah. But we had to know better before we could do better. And that just because you don't know something, like don't beat yourself up because you didn't know. Right. You just didn't know. And now you know, and now you can do better. Yep. You can't undo the knowledge in your head once you have it, you know, and that works in so many different areas of our life, right? You know, so, you know, if you go out and you make those poor decisions after you have the information and the knowledge in your head, it's not as fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's not as fun and it's not as enjoyable because you're like, "Mm," you know, you know, this, this is not the best optimal choice for myself. Yes. And it doesn't have to be like being healthy is the opposite of fun. Right. You can still have fun. Part of our story is that my husband passed away two years ago from alcoholism. So going forward, the story for my kids and I is no alcohol whatsoever. And I don't know if there was a genetic factor to his death. And so I've taught my children alcohol is probably never a good choice for you ever. Mm -hmm. And you can still have fun without alcohol. Mm -hmm. So I have surrounded my children with friends of mine that are adults that do not drink so that they can see what does it look like to live a lifestyle without alcohol and to still have fun. Mm-hmm. And so nowhere in this like healthy lifestyle have we like, oh, we're the fun police and we're here to remove your fun, you know? <laughs> I like that you talk about, and we got to kind of come to an end here because I think we could talk for days, but I like, well, then that can be a topic for another day, but I like how you talk about, you know, Jacob in the alcoholism there is I'm, you know, 34 years sober myself and I have a lot of my family that is as well. And even though I have a lot of my family that is, my personal opinion is it is not genetic. I do believe there's something wired inside of us that triggers the ability not to say no, but I also believe it's definitely coping skills and it has everything to do with not accepting reality as reality. It really is. 
Yes. And when I said genetic, I didn't mean the propensity towards alcoholism. What I meant is I believe that he had MTHFR, though he was never diagnosed. And so that part would be genetic. Right. I don't necessarily agree with the, like you said, with some of the other aspects of just calling it genetic. But in his case, I do believe there was a genetic factor in the MTHFR and the liver's ability to cleanse itself and all that just based on his consumption level. Yeah. The surgeon informed me, he's like, there's no reason that a man of his age drinking what he was drinking should have died from that. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, there's got to be something else there. But he wasn't able to be biopsied and we didn't have an autopsy after the fact. So I'm kind of at a loss for genetic right. material. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I get it. But I do believe that there is something that gets switched on or off, you know, in the brain, you know, because there's a lot of people who can drink socially. But I also believe that it has, you know, because when you look back, for instance, at my family, there was no coping mechanisms whatsoever for what we endured as a family, Uh you know, to go through. And I believe that when you grow up like that, you either become the alcoholic yourself, you know, or you marry an alcoholic. You're going to do one or the other because you're going to be, and I happen to be both, you know, alcoholic and severely codependent. You know, it's like, Uh hello, (laughs) win-win. Double dose it, you know. But yeah, you know, talking to your kids about it on an early age, I believe you're handling that coping mechanism early on. You know, you had a traumatic event that you went through with your husband and then talking with those kids about, you know, how to handle those emotions, how to handle the coping mechanisms that reality is reality and we don't have to modify it or change it. Yes, or escape from it. Yeah, yeah, because that doesn't work. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And it hurts more when you wake up and realize, oh, it's still real. (laughs) Again, again, once again. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, yes. So Sarah, if two things that I want to do and kind of wrapping this up, number one is thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable with us and sharing your story. I know that takes a lot of courage for people to do that. Number two is how can people get a hold of you? If, you know, your story is resonating with them, what is going to be the best way for them to connect with you? The best way would be through my website, sarahadamo.com. Okay. So that's the easiest way to do that. And you can read our story on there and yeah, just a great way to connect. Awesome. And I know that Sarah happens to be aligned with a company that has some fantastic toxin-free products. So I know that they can get connected with that going through your website as well. And, you know, being able to dive in deeper, you know, with that story, I think is fantastic, you know, to go there. So let me ask you this. What are you passionate about today? You know, today, moving forward with your life, what really drives you? I think what really pushes me is letting people know that there is education out there for them to make educated decisions for themselves. Like I said, with the diet, it's not one size fits all, right? But you need to learn your body and how you work so that you can make the best choices for you and for your children. And that's what I'm passionate about. 
I love that. I love that. And what a great, you know, philosophy. And I can tell, you know, just by visiting with you and the time that we've had that you have such a servant's heart, you know, that you really truly want to help others along their journey as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. That's all for this episode of The Toxin Terminator. And we hope we've helped you remove the hidden toxins in your life for renewed health. If you're looking to continue your journey towards full rejuvenation, reach out to Amy directly by visiting amycarlson.com for your own one-on-one chat session, as well as your free toxic risk assessment. That's A-I-M-E-E carlson.com. And remember, you are just one small change away from renewed health.